to Museum Chat Live, a fairly regular podcast series brought to you by the St. Catharines Museum and Welland Canal Centre. We're bringing you all things to do with St. Catharines, our history, and what's going on at our museum. Today, you're listening to, well, me. My name is Sarah Nixon, public programmer at the St. Catharines Museum. Our community is filled with diverse stories, and we recognize that our story begins with the Indigenous peoples of this land. We acknowledge that we are recording this podcast on lands that have been inhabited by Indigenous peoples for millennia, and we would like to honor the centuries of Indigenous peoples who walked on Turtle Island before us. Also, just to note that we are recording this podcast at home, safely social distancing, as we work to flatten the COVID-19 curve. This is part three of our Canal Crossings mini-series, where we explore the bridges that cross the Welland Canal. To help tell the fascinating histories of these engineering structures, I've brought on longtime St. Catharines Museum volunteer, Des Corin. Hi, Des. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for having me on board. Great to have you back. In parts one and two of our mini-series, we considered the history of the bridges built over the Welland Canal and took a closer look at the canal crossings that exist today, including the tunnels and the Garden City Skyway. Today, we dig into the darker history that surrounds the canal crossings, the tragic accidents involved in bridge construction and maintenance, and other bridge disasters. We turn our attention to this grim part of Welland Canal history in honor of the National Day of Mourning for workers killed or injured in the workplace, which is held on April 28th. We know that the construction of the Fourth Welland Canal was dangerous. During its period of construction, between 1913 and 1932, 137 men died due to workplace accidents. These accidents were caused due to unsafe work environments, lack of proper training and communication, lack of personal protective equipment, and the use of very new and little understood technology and machinery. Bridge construction on the canal was likely just as dangerous. Des, were there any workers killed during the construction of the bridges? Yes, sir. There were many accidents uh, and deaths surrounding the bridges, but I've isolated just the fallen workers who, who were employed by the bridge contractors themselves. So there were a total of nine deaths, and they took place at bridges 5, 13, 14, 17, 20, and 21. And yes, you're right about the sites. The bridge accidents tended to be more dangerous just from the fact that the elevation of the bridge themselves was part of the issue. Can we find a pattern in these accidents, or are they all different? Uh, There was no singular circumstance, but the fact that a lot of machinery was required Anything that moved was a potential accident, and add in unsafe equipment, lack of training, 
And the example at Bridge 5 Glendale Avenue, September 27, 1929, when Thomas Pollard, working on a scaffold about 30 feet above the ground, lost his footing and fell to his death. No safety barrier. He was the only fallen worker born in Newfoundland. Oh my gosh, no safety barrier. It's shocking. Those things seem so easy to prevent. Now, much lore tells us that the number 13 is a very unlucky number. And this superstition is hard to brush off when considering the accidents that occurred at Bridge 13 during canal construction. Des, what can you tell us about unlucky Bridge 13? Well, Bridge 13 is actually Main Street in Welland today. Its first accident was December the 10th, 1927. Three men, Achilles Bison, Henry Neelis, and Robert Lethbridge, were all killed when the coffer dam around the bridge abutment collapsed. Now, Henry Neelis, was, his body was returned to his native New Brunswick, and he's buried there. Robert Lethbridge, he was laid to rest in uh, Midland, Ontario, and Achilles Bison is buried in Holy Cross Cemetery in Welland. A couple of years ago, I had the pleasure, if you want to put it that way, uh, of being on a, a cemetery tour of Holy Cross, and there I met up with his, some of his descendants. He was 29 years old when he was killed. He had a wife with six children and seven on the way. Now, if you just stop and ponder that for a second, we're talking December 10th just 15 days before Christmas. And if you look at their ages, we can assume that those children, all six of them, were eight years or younger. And I just can't imagine what kind of a Christmas that would have been, losing a father that close to what should have been a joyous time of the year. Now, if you want to go on the other side and look at the positive, his wife, she returned to her native Quebec, remarried, and had nine more children. If that isn't an example of resilience, I don't know what is. Still, at Bridge 13 on June the 13th, 1930, Robert Corcoran was killed when he was hit by a snap table. Like Henry Neelis, he was, his body was also returned for burial in St. John's, New Brunswick. It's really heavy and hard to hear about these deaths, but... And thinking about how this impacted the families of the fallen workers, you know, you mentioned deaths happening right around Christmas time. Like, what does that do to the fallen workers' six children with seventh on the way? I think that's just such a hard legacy to, to live with. It is tragic enough to lose one family member to a workplace accident. I could not even comprehend the pain of losing two. Yet, we sadly have stories of just that tragic circumstance on the Welland Canal. The Bassett family tragically lost a father and son due to a bridge construction accident. Does what happened here? Well, the Bassett family tragedy unfolded in 1929 when in April of that year, son Fernley, who was age 23, he was killed when crushed between a railroad crane and bridge number 20 in Port Colborne. And then just six months later, October the 11th, 1929, 
His father, William, was killed when he was crushed by the counterweight on Bridge 21, which is Clarence Street today. Now, those two bridges were like 50 yards apart. So whenever we look at today, and we know we're coping with COVID-19 and all the uncertainty and the death that surrounds it, if you just put yourself in the place of the Bassett family, 1929, they've just lost their two main breadwinners. And then just a few days after uh, William's death, Father William, um, that was when the great stock market crash took place and the Great Depression. So maybe we should be just thanking ourselves we live when we do. That's a really good point, and that's why I find it so important to tell these stories. We're not the only generation to be living through such a huge crisis. And when you think about the Bassett family to have lost both breadwinners just before the Great Depression, that would have put the family in such a precarious, difficult position. So I think we can find some empathy when telling these bridge stories um, and hopefully learn a bit more about strength and resilience in our own circumstances today. Des, you mentioned that there were nine deaths during the construction of the Welland Canal directly connected to bridges. What are the stories of the others? Well, there are still two deaths remaining that we haven't talked about. January 27, 1927, at bridge number 17, which was a railroad bridge at Forks Road. That one still exists today. And that bridge was being built for the Wabash Railroad. Ira Mahone was killed in an accident caused by a faulty boom. His, uh, his body was sent to Windsor, and that's where he's buried. And at bridge number 14, which is Lincoln Street Welland today, June the 30th, 1930, Elmer Hines died when he was caught between the tower going up and the Conroe going down. He's buried in Victoria Long. And in a, an ironic twist, his widow remarried Herbert William Burt, who was the son of William Burt, and William Burt was the first fatality in the canal in June of 1913. So his widow has other connections to fallen workers as well by marrying the son of William Burt, who was the, the first fallen worker, correct? Yeah, I, ironic as it may seem, that's how it happened. Now, Des, what about after the canal opened and began operating? We know that the Garden City Skyway was constructed in 1963. Did the construction of this bridge result in any casualties? I didn't find any deaths uh, associated with the actual Skyway construction. But 30 years later, on June the 8th, 1993, an accident took the lives of four men when 11 men in total were working on a platform on the underside of the bridge. That platform collapsed. Now, seven of the men were trapped there temporarily, eventually rescued, but four of them, Conrad Stencil, Douglas Shand, David McKinley, Gordon Thomas, all fell to the ground and were killed. Now, there's a small monument just to the side of the canal trail to mark that site. Oh my gosh, four men killed in 1993. I find this really hard to digest. 
When we talk about the fallen workers of the Welland Canal during its construction in the early 1900s, we blame the deaths on inadequate safety measures and inadequate or non-existent personal protective equipment. But when we talk about, you know, these deaths that happened in 1993, we should have known better. There should have been, everything should have been in place to avoid those accidents. April 28th is the National Day of Mourning for Workers Killed and Injured in the Workplace. And we still commemorate this today because there are still workplace injuries and workplace deaths as much as there's new legislation and safety procedures to avoid it. It still happens. And I find, you know, that continuity between building the canal in the early 1900s to today kind of really hard to digest. Well, whenever you think bridge construction on the canal didn't get into high gear until the late 1920s. So the accidents and death I've talked about are from about 90 years ago. And the conditions of that era, like no hard hats, no safety boots, no safety harnesses, no protection barriers, little or no knowledge of the dangers of moving machinery, no construction site controls, little or no knowledge of electricity, and poor quality equipment, they all contributed to the death, all of which should never have happened. Des, I agree with you. The most frustrating thing about you know discussing these accidents is that they could have been avoided, both in the 1920s when they were building these bridges to 1993 when we have men restoring the bridges. And I think this is why we have the National Day of Mourning, is to commemorate these workers who have been killed, injured, or suffered illnesses due to workplace-related hazards. We do that because it's still happening today. Now, construction site tragedies are not the only accidents that have occurred on canal crossings. Des, what can you tell us about bridge disasters that have involved ships? Well, fortunately, the accidents involving ships I couldn't find any cases where there actually was a death, but they impacted public travel and were, in most cases, a great annoyance, and that may seem pretty trivial by today's standards. So if we look at bridge number three, Carlton Street, that was hit and destroyed by the Japanese freighter, the Kamakawa Maru, in 1968. The reconstruction of that bridge included moving it actually back from its original position at the lock wall. And that took over a year. That's why that bridge today is labeled as 3A rather than number three. If you look at uh, what happened August 25, 1974, the American Laker Steelton, it hit bridge number 12 at Port Robinson, driving it into the canal. Now that bridge was never repaired nor replaced, and it took 15 days before the canal could return to operation. In that case, the ship was at fault. And the third major accident was August the 11th, 2001, when the Patterson ship, the Windock, hit Bridge 11 at Allenburg Road. Now, the company at that time was uh, in financial problems and ultimately went out of business. The ship, it never sailed again under its own power but it languished for 10 years before it was towed and dismantled at Port Colburn. 
The accident took two days to clear the canal, and the report from the Transport Board of Canada clearly stated, and I quote, the bridge operator who had taken drugs and alcohol, as well as lacking monitoring procedures, led to this accident. So I think that clearly points to this was an accident which was a human one as opposed to a mechanical. That certainly does sound like a bit of a scandal, too. Yeah, it could be. Does what can we learn from bridge accidents on the canal? Why do you think it's so important to tell these stories? Sarah, when I started this project, the accidents and death were all from many years ago, like 90 to 100 years ago. And when you look at the construction sites today, and you see we can actually pat ourselves on the back, or at least we think we can pat ourselves on the back, when you look at all the improvements that we have now. But when I was at the monument underneath the Skyway, that jolted me. That accident was just 27 years ago. I remember that time. And as I stood there looking at the monument and looking up and seeing distance that those men fell, it suddenly came to me. Yeah, we've done a lot, but we're not there yet. Des, thank you so much for returning to the podcast today to help shed light on the darker history of the bridges and what we can learn from these stories. Sarah, thanks for having me. And perhaps if I could just throw out a suggestion before we go. The next time any of our listeners are waiting for a ship at a bridge canal, just take a couple of seconds and remember our National Day of Mourning for Fallen Workers. That's it for this episode of Museum Chat Live. This podcast was produced by Sarah Nixon with special thanks to Des Corin for sharing his research and knowledge. Make sure to subscribe to Museum Chat Live and the museum's other podcast, One Hour in the Past, on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Google Podcasts so you don't miss fairly regular podcast episodes. Museum Chatline is brought to you by the St. Catharines Museum and the Welland Canal Center and the City of St. Catharines.